Welcome to the Enterprise Excellence Podcast, where our purpose is to help create a better future. Learn from our world's experts how to improve your organization sustainably. Learn how to achieve and sustain an excellence journey for yourself, others, and the planet. And I'm your host, Brad Jevons, coming to you from Brisbane, Australia. We are proudly brought to you in association with SA Partners, a world-leading business transformation consultancy. SA Partners are a truly purposeful company focused on helping organisations achieve sustainable improvement for themselves, others and the planet. Welcome to episode 55 of the Enterprise Excellence Podcast. I'm so pleased to welcome back Mr. Michael Bremer to the second episode of this two-part series on Michael's background and his book, How to Do a Gamble Walk, A Leader's Guide. In the first episode, we covered the topic of finding a purpose for a walk and then also listen, look and learn during a walk. Today, we're going to cover experimentation and also evaluation further. Let's get into the episode. Michael, thank you so much for joining us again. Okay, looking forward to it. Michael, at the end of the first episode, you mentioned that a gamble walk is like an experiment. I found that a very powerful statement. Do you mind unpacking that a bit further for us? Well, the especially early on when you're getting to do this, but even me, when I do walks now, I mean, the the as the, you know, I do a lot of volunteer work with the Association of Manufacturing Excellence, and one of the perks that I enjoy um, as a result of, um, of being in that position of power is when we have um, an organization that's applying for the Excellence Award, I, I, I put together the assessment teams that are going to be going out to, to the various sites. And so one of the things I've been doing over the last several years, I mean, sometimes I'll, I'll lead a team, but I usually go in as a team member. I don't go in as the team lead. And some of the assessors found that really a tad awkward at first, but I've done it enough times now that, you know, I'm not trying to undercut um, anyone when we do this. And there's, there's, there's more trust there. I don't think they didn't trust me before, but there's more trust there now. Well, what I get to do is I get to observe then all these, all these people with this phenomenal experience um, doing, in this instance, an assessment walk uh, of going through. And Every day when we do that, so we're at a site, and at the end of the day, we have a debrief about what was it that happened that day? What did we learn? What did we what did we see? And it's and what we want to do the next day then is we want to make some changes to to the process uh, of what it is that's going on. Um, the other thing for that type of a thing for an assessment for me, um, if I was let's say this one time I went out there and I'm looking at policy deployment and people engagement. Another time that I'm doing a walk, maybe I want to focus on the safety and environmental practices. I want to dig more deeply into the to the operations aspect or the new product development aspect of what it is that's going on, so that I'm I'm learning to observe in different areas of, of an overall business. You know, as I do this, and once I've done enough of those, then I can start to string it together to to um, I think better understand how the overall you know should be looking um, and, and working. Let's go back to the first line supervisor that, that's doing this and the idea that it's an experiment. I mean, we're usually pressured. There, there are time pressures for everybody, maybe more so today, but three years ago, everybody felt they didn't have enough time then also. So <laughs> it's a little bit worse. It certainly is a little bit crazier. Um, and COVID has made for some, some big challenges. But, but I'm running this, I'm, I'm doing these walks. Well, and maybe I'm, I'm probably doing these walks by myself. So what can I do if I want to improve the way I'm doing the walk? Well, I invite another supervisor to go with me and watch me do my walk. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I invite my manager to, to come in, uh, to both for the manager to be able to see what it is they were doing and to coach me on what it is that that, that I can be doing to, to do this more effectively. What, what, what was observed that I did well? What was observed that I could you know, do better? I, I should do this at least once a year. <laughs> You know, maybe a couple times a year, <laughs> but but just you know, period, you don't want to do this monthly. Um, I even quarterly might is, might be too much, but twice a year, once a year to um, to have somebody come in and observe because we fall into these habits, and um, and it it starts to become automatic. And and what I want to do is step back from that automatic activity that it is that I'm doing, and and take it up to the take it up a notch. And, and I think an easy way to do that is, is just to have a buddy experiment with you. Um, I can also, in the experiment of an experimentation, when I'm meeting with my team, <clears throat> there's, this, there's this tool that anybody that's done facilitation is familiar with. It's called keep, stop, start. You just do it with, you know, one, uh, what, two by two post-it notes. Yeah. And so get feedback from my team. So I want to do these gimbal walks. I'm trying to help all of us you know, understand our job, we know, whatever our purpose is that we've defined for doing these walks, here, here's the purpose. Uh, people have agreed that that's a good purpose because we talked about that, you know, when we created the purpose. Well, tell me what I should keep doing that's, that's helping me to fulfill this purpose in, in our team to fulfill our purpose effectively. Is there something I should stop doing? Is there something I should start doing that I'm not doing? And, and so just finding some simple ways to, to get feedback, then then you keep, I think you keep it fresher because you realize that the, there, there isn't just one rigid way to do this. And then from an organizational perspective, as I go up the line, I, I would like for some of those folks to be out observing the, the people down in the organization, you know, they're doing their walk. Is there a best practice? Is there a, are there a couple of people here that really have got a best practice for doing these walks? And if they do, then how do we spread those best practices so that more of us do walks like the people that do walks in the best way possible? Uh, and then the organization itself, what should we keep doing? What should we stop doing? What should we start doing as time goes by to continue to keep these things fresh, to continue to keep these things relevant? Because uh, there's a tendency for them to get stale, you know, as time goes by, because um, we're doing the same old thing in the same old way. Michael, that's powerful. Like it's like a retrospective, you know, with your buddy or your leader you're doing a walk with, you can do the old keep, stop, start and really get that strong evaluation back. Well, with, we've covered the, um, you know, define the purpose of the walk, listen, look, learn, and then evaluation. And we've gone through that buddy style system. But what about in the case where you're walking by yourself? Like if you were to walk by yourself, how would evaluate look? What would, what would you do? I try to hold myself to, uh, to a pretty high standard. <laughs> so even, even like I was at a company last year, just, just before COVID stuff exploded, um, that it is a highly or is an organization that's highly effective and improvement. I, I visited them a number of times over the years. I've got a high degree of respect uh, for this organization and the leaders that are there. But if I'm doing a if I'm doing a walk, I, I I'm accountable for seeing something that's meaningful. <laughs> I've got to be able to give them not 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 a solution because I don't know enough to give them a solution because I'm not there every day. I've got observations and I've got questions. And so the so if I've done a walk and I, and I haven't seen any, I don't think I've observed anything at all that was substantive, then I did not do a good walk because there's always something. And so the I, I need 
it, it's funny. The first couple of times I started going to these organizations that were really, really good, I was scared as hell um, to to go do that because I was thinking, Jesus, what what do I have that good? I could teach somebody that's you know that's that's uh, this good. Um, but I've had a couple of experiences since then, and, and even in those organizations, there's things you see, and and it's funny that thing that I did with this last organization is, is I, I felt they had moved to that space of where they were operating on automatic. And, and, and so that, because the, they were going through this stuff so fast, what it was, and, and again, they're doing great stuff and they're doing great listening. And I mean, this, this thing, it's, it's, it's an 80 out of the total possible points. This is in the 80th percentile somewhere, <laughs> which is very high. So, so it's very good, but, but even still where they're at, there, there were some things that I observed that it looked like they were operating more on automatic without the reflection that, that, that they're so comfortable with their systems. And so I challenged them um, and they wrote back to me a week later and said that they thought that was right, that they really did need to go back through and, and you know, slow down a little bit and see what it was um, that, that was going on. So, so for me, I, I'm holding myself... Um, accountable at the end to have two or three observations that I think are worth asking a couple of questions on and not, and not some piece of minutia. I mean, I don't, you know, some five S thing was out of, it's gotta be, it's gotta be meaningful. Yeah. I'm not well, looking for a bunch of knit stuff. So yeah, I don't, I don't want to just say that I've got three because there, there's these three insignificant things that it is that I can find. I, I, I need to probe enough because they're trying to get better at getting better. And so, so a natural question for me at the, the beginning, before we've ever done a walk, is what are you struggling with right now to get better at doing moving forward? And that, that, that in an organization that's highly effective in improving, I, I would trust those, those, that area. If it's an organization that's earlier in its journey, I would think they might not know what it is they should be focusing on. And so I, I wanna know what it is they're focusing on, and then I wanna know what it is that I see and does what I see match up with what they said? Um, but in the good ones, you know, they, they, they're doing a lot of stuff good. And so I'll tell me what it is you're working on to do next. And I'll pay, I'll pay special attention to those areas and, and then try to, try to help them nudge it forward. Michael, I guess if um, take the example of a production manager or supervisor, you know, they would define the purpose of their walk. They'd look at the challenges or the goals of the area and understand that in relation to it. And then they would go listen, look, and learn throughout the walk. When it comes to evaluation, they'd be really thinking about, okay, what did I learn and what can I do to help this area? You know, what questions can I ask? What behaviors can I go about to really help them move forward? Is that correct? I think it's correct. But, I, and I, but where most people in that position fall down. Um, so, so a question I ask, whenever I go in to do a site visit for AME and I look at leader standard work, and they're always doing a gimbal walk. Um, and so I'll say, so, so you've been doing this leader standard work thing or you've been doing this gimbal walk thing for two years. Um, what, what is that causing you to do differently as a leader today than you were doing two years ago? So if you can tell me that you're doing something differently as a first line supervisor or as a supervisor of supervisors, as a result of using these tools and doing these activities, then, then you're, you're on the right road to getting de a deeper understanding of these tools and what it is that's going on. We get trapped with the activity list. And so, the, so, so we're doing the activities and we think 
we think because we're doing the activities, we're doing the gimbal walk or we're doing leader standard work. But but the purpose of the, the primary purpose of those things isn't isn't the activities. I got to do the activities to, to do the work, but that isn't the purpose. Um, it's the same thing with a visual board. You know, people have got these visual boards, and a question that I'll say, so okay, so you got this visual board, and and the the better a good visual board then has some problems that they're trying to solve that you know that they came up with because there's always problems, uh, and you actually see they're progressing at some of those problems, but. But the really good visual boards that change the behaviors are not only focused on solving the problem, but I can see that they're also attacking the process that allowed that problem to take place so that the problem doesn't recur again next month. And I can see that this visual board is, in the words of Mike Rother, it's moving me towards some future state. Yeah. So I've got a future state that we aspire toward uh, being at two years from now, three years from now, I mean, whatever it is. Um, we're, we're aspiring toward going there. And and then we're you know we're 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 laying the infrastructure we're we're putting in the plumbing to to be able to get there and so I, I love really what Mike did, I mean Toyota Kata is nothing is not any and Mike said this it's not different than plan do check act or plan do check adjust whatever you like to call it, um, it's um but you know he put this interesting little spin on it, um it but that's all it is and so so but I've got this future state so the really good boards the purpose is to reach this. Future, this future state two years from now. That's, that's the purpose of all that it was that, that, that we're doing. Yeah. Well, I should be doing the same thing with the gimbal walks in. So, so what's the gimbal walk doing for, for helping me? And, that, and then after me, what's it doing to help our team change, change the behaviors so we can behave in a more appropriate way um, you know, moving forward in the future? I loved how you phrased that, Michael. You know, I can really hear the two parts to it. You know, as a leader, what have I learned and what can I do? to help improve towards the challenging, meaningful goals that we're chasing, but also what can I do to help the team member or a leader below me to actually move forward and achieve? I did totally. I mean, it's, it's, you know, you talked about the, the next book. I got this damn thing I've been working on for <laughs> an embarrassingly long time, but, but, and it would be, will be an interesting conversation. We can have it about that because the, um, you know, all of my compatriots, you talked about Mark Raven, Mark's giving me, Mark's giving me lip on this. The um, that the CEO needs to drive the improvement effort, and so you picture this shining light that's up there, and we all bask in the glow of this, you know, brilliant CEO because she's doing such a great job, uh, and we 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 just bask in the luminescence that's there. Well, most CEOs, I mean, if I'm doing cybersecurity, if I'm doing a new payroll system, if I'm doing a new IT, so everybody wants the shining light of the CEO to shine on the thing that it is that they're doing, and and we improvement folks, you know, we 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 just we want our slice of it. Most CEOs. Don't, don't have enough time, don't have enough interest, and don't have enough knowledge <laughs> to be that chain light for doing this. <laughs> uh, and, and so then rea reality to me is then you look at the, the number of first and second line supervisors we have, they touch 80% of the people that are in, directly, they touch 80% of the people that are inside an organization. The CEO doesn't, they, they do, they touch cumulatively. And so I'm more and more of the belief that we can be doing this stuff in the middle of the organization Unless I've got a highly dysfunctional leader, I, I've got most leaders are average. They're okay. They're not bad. And so if I've got an average leader, I got a tremendous amount of freedom for making phenomenal improvement the way we we do our work. And and then part of the art is figuring out how to do that without getting into too much trouble, and, and without you know disrupting the people that are around me 
but you can make a lot. Every organization I've ever been in has pockets of excellence in it. And so there's no reason that, that me as a middle manager, she, you know, she can't create a pocket of excellence with the area that she's responsible for. Yeah, Michael, I can vouch for that. You know, I've seen so many organizations where, you know, there is a leader of a team and she's doing great things and that team's achieving great things. And, you know, other teams can learn from that and grow from that without looking at anything new. And Gemba is a great way to achieve that, you know, going to Gemba and going through the process we've been talking about on this episode so far. I think this is the one tool, you know, when people talk about the need for culture change and that sort of stuff, this, this is the one tool that, that people can go in and directly touch the culture of an organization. And I can do that from multiple levels. You know, the first line supervisor can change the culture of his little work group. Um, the plant manager, when she's going through and she's, she's trying to see what it is that's, that, that's going on, she can directly influence the culture by the way she asks questions and, and the way that she treats people and the respect that it is that she shows and the listening that's taking place there. And as you build the self-esteem and the confidence of the, the, you know, the people that are there doing the work, and, and that doesn't mean they're going to get everything right you know, out of the box. They ain't. There's going to be mistakes that are along the way, but what happens when those mistakes you know, take place? You know, and, and, and I'm, I'm not big on making the same mistake twice, but, the, um, but, but as we go through there, you know, then what are we building into the accountabilities and the process improvement so mistakes like that don't happen again? Um, but you can, this is one of the best tools in the world for actively changing the culture of an organization, I think more so than, than any of the rest. Yeah, Michael, especially when it's done really well. You know, I can see our conversation around the three key parts of do you have a purpose for a walk? look, listen, and learn, and then evaluation. You know, if a leader is constantly improving and evolving that, doing the evaluation well, learning from it and going again, they'll get better and better and better. You know, and I've heard studies before, like you mentioned, that 70% of culture comes from frontline leaders. You know, it's a really powerful conversation area to think about. So helping our frontline leaders grow and develop through a concept like Gemba and the coaching that happens afterwards is extremely important. But Michael, what do you find stops organizations doing this? What stops them moving forward and trying to continuously improve and experiment and get better in this area of Gemba? Well, this is one of the things I'm excited about with my volunteer work with AME. The, um, it, I know how long it took me to get a satisfactory understanding. And that doesn't mean all knowledgeable. That just means I started to understand of what highly effective improvement practices look like. Um, and I, for a long time, I knew I didn't know enough. I wasn't satisfied with what I knew, and, but it, just a long time. So let's say 10, 15 years. I'm not certain exactly. You know, it depends on, I guess, where we wanted to draw the starting line. But the, um, I don't think that most people know what highly effective improvement practices look like. And so in my mind, that, that's the thing that inhibits us from doing a lot of the things that we talk about because people don't believe, even, even though... Jesus, for 20, 30 years, people have been talking about, you can take 50% of the lead time out of a process. You can, you know, you can eliminate all this waste. People don't believe it. You know, just they, 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 they tend to think, I, I think we're working hard. I think we're doing a good job. And if we just do a little bit better job next year of doing what it is that we do, life is going to be okay. And in an average organization, and when there is no major disruption taking place in the competitive field around you, that it's adequate. It's not, it's not inadequate. It's not dysfunctional. And, and so if you, re, if you re, think about highly effective improvement organizations versus the rest, 
compare that to world-class athletes and, and a high school or even a college athlete who's a very good athlete. And any athlete that's, you know, you're doing athletics in a college, on a college team, you, you, you're, you know, you're, you're pretty good. Um, but you're really far from world-class. Well, most organizations are that far from world-class relative to improvement effectiveness, but they don't see it, they don't realize it. And so I think the one thing that people can do if they really want to aspire to doing something radically different is find ways to open their eyes to the magnitude of improvement that, that, that's possible. And again, I'm not just saying the CEO needs to do this. I'm saying this is true of any level of the leadership that, that if, if you want to be doing more with your team, whether it's a single team or it's a company or it's a series of companies, um, what can you do to um, change the way that it is that you change your perspective to see what's there and to begin to get a feeling for what it is that, that's possible? And if you, if you really set those goals high enough, um, there's phenomenal things that can happen. One of the things that frustrated me for a long time here in the US, do a little bit of a rabbit trail on you, was the outsourcing that took place. And I am not anti-outsourcing. Um, I am anti how, um, I am anti-stupid sourcing. <laughs> and so, so if you want to put a plant in China because you're going to be servicing the China market or you're going to be servicing you know, customers in Asia, that is totally fine. But, but when you are sourcing stuff, and I, I wrote about this back in 2010, so this isn't some COVID insight that I had. <laughs> the, if, if you outsource what you make halfway around the world and then you're bringing it all the way back here to you know, the states to sell it, or you know, in Australia, if you're sending it up to the northern hemisphere, and bringing it back down south. And I realize that, that market's smaller, but what you're doing is you're 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 removing jobs from your local economy. And and if you just do that in your company, Brad, it, it's not a problem. But but if you do it and I do it and the other ten people in this block do it with the companies that they own, you begin to affect the community, and and you take away the jobs are in that community and you take away the ability of people to buy the stuff that it is that I'm taking away the ability for you to sell your stuff by the fact that my people are now <laughs> working at Burger King or Walmart or, or whatever. And, was, and I was frustrated with Walmart. I wrote about Walmart back in 2010 because they drove a lot of outsourcing out of this country for, you know, relatively inexpensive products, but the, um, but you're, you're driving those things away. And so having a holistic perspective of what it is we're trying to, to accomplish here, and there are companies in the US that pay high wages that are the low cost manufacturer of the thing that they make because they're so good at improving. So it's, you, you get swayed by the labor cost or sometimes you get swayed by difficulties of dealing with the union. You, you got to figure out if you're the leader, you got to figure out how to be able to do this in a cooperative way. And sometimes you got to overcome legacy issues that, that are there. The easy answer is to outsource it now. And this year it's cheaper if I do that. Next year it's cheaper if I do that. But I don't think it's cheaper 10 years from now. And it certainly isn't cheaper when a quality problem comes up, when, when the, you know, the other country does something to the, to the companies that are in their country that you outsource to. And nobody had that in their outsourcing calculations. And so I, I wrote a big piece on that back in 2010 because it was driving me crazy. Yeah, Michael, a lot of organizations over the time too haven't considered the cost of supply chain, the cost of warehousing, and a lot of these blow the line costs 
Also, the environmental impact has been missed in many regards, although that's becoming less and less now. Michael, so what you're saying is that really you've got to help a leader gain an insight, you know, get an aha moment, which you were fortunate to um, achieve via Deming and many like those, which is just truly amazing. The key is how do you create that constant desire to keep learning, that constant evolution of defining a purpose for a walk, go look, listen, learn, and then come back and evaluate and learn from that, evaluate and go forward. Well, it really is. I mean, you know, so I started in the days of total quality management. That was a popular improvement methodology. And you probably couldn't name a three-letter improvement methodology that I've not done over the last 40 years. Um, but, but, but the neat thing about each methodology that becomes popular is, is it, provide, it provides a new perspective. It provides a new insight. Um, but when you look at the methodologies we use, 70% of the tools are the same to all of these methodologies. 70% of these tools are traditional industrial engineering tools that were used 100 years ago. We use them in a radically different way today. And so when people say it's not about the tools, it is not about the tools. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the tools are good. And if you're using the right tool in the right situation, you know, you're going to get good stuff from the tools because the tools are very, very, you know, a saw cuts a, cuts a board, a hammer puts in a nail, a screwdriver, especially an automated, you know, a drill. I mean, it, it puts in screws. The, um, and so we use these tools that they're, they're great, but the, but the tool doesn't tell me what the house should be designed like or, you know, or what it's going to be like to live in this, you know, this house. And so if I, if I want to be doing this, you know, in a holistic way, I, I've got to be thinking about who is it that, you know, am I attacking Am I attracting, uh, you know, retired couples? Am I attracting families? Uh, am I going to have a diversified community, or do I just want this thing to be all homogenous with a bunch of people that are all alike? Or, you know, what is what is it that's going on? What is it they were trying to build here? And and I think taking a holistic perspective for what it is that we're trying to do here, and and the thing I love about diversity, and I think the the um, the artificial intelligence algorithms are, are proof of the importance of diversity. Um, is that I can get different ideas from people that have different experiences. And, and so it doesn't really matter if, you know, I mean, even, I mean, one of the things, one of my things that knocked the, the socks off me learning things was from a woman that might've had a high school degree working in an assembly line in uh, Shreveport, Louisiana. And I was, I was, to me, TPS at that point in time was Kaizen teams. This is in the mid nineties. <laughs> And so we did this Kaizen team and uh, we, we presented to management and it, all, it had all gone very, very well. Everybody's very, very happy. And we're back in the room and I'm asking people, so you spent a week of your life doing this thing, you know, what would you get out of this investment of time? And people say real polite stuff. And, and I share this story a lot of times when I do a speech because it just, it just changed me for life. And I come to Pearlie and Pearlie says, well, I worked for this company for 25 years. It's the first time they ever asked me to think and I really liked it. And, and logically, I knew, I mean, I was, I was good at involving my people. I mean, I, and I was good at, you know, teaching, bringing teams together and doing problem solving and all of that stuff. I mean, I, I knew logically the importance of that. I never understood the emotional cost of it. I never understood the emotional cost of not doing that. And truly gave me this gift that changed my life. And because all of a sudden I understood the, the emotional cost that was there in an organization from not taking advantage of Pearlie and the 300 other Pearlies that are in this organization. And, and she changed the way that I talked to leadership teams to this day. I mean, it was just, because anyway, I just, 
I just, I'm, I, you know, I tended to avoid that emotional stuff. I mean, who, who, I didn't want to go there. And, uh, and, and I wouldn't say that Pearly fully got me to dealing with emotional stuff. I still had work I needed to do on that for a few years to get there. But, uh, but oh my God, she, she totally changed the way that I looked at the world. And now I, I could just so appreciate what this was costing us by not doing these things that intellectually it made sense to me we should be doing. And I think, oh my God, this really is important. <laughs> Isn't it amazing, Mark? You actually get like a dual gain out of this, really. You know, you get employees at all levels of the organization having their meaningful challenging goal, you know, employees going to learn from each other through Gemba, but you also get the cultural outcome that comes from the constant insights and learning and sharing and collaboration that comes out of this whole process. Well, Steve Jobs said, I think, um, and I mean, he was an interesting leader. I mean, totally creative, um, total, total visionary was not, was not, um, was not always polite to people. Um, but was brilliant. And, and he appreciated a fight, a good fight, as long as you knew what the hell you were talking about. But a quote that I, I saw attributed to him, and I was surprised that it uh, came from him, but I've seen it attributed there a couple of times, was that um, 70% of the people, 70% of the work that people do, they're, 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 they're willing to do it. But 30% is optional. And, and that's where the treasure is. And, and I think that the difference between an average organization and a highly effective organization is it can tap into that 30%. Where, where I'm getting my people to be more fully engaged. Um, and, and as you do that and you get those passions, um, there's just brilliant things that can happen from that. And, and just the organization can become such a, a better place for everybody to be uh, when, when we're operating that, that way. And that's, so that's the thing that keeps me interested in this is just trying to unleash a little bit more of that happening around the world. I mean, I'm not US, I'm not a lean purist. I, I'm, I'm, my my mantra is highly effective improvement practices, and the um, and I'm not U.S. centric. I I want to see anybody anywhere in the world, um, you know, doing this because I think it's good. It's it's good for the world for all of us to be getting better at doing this. This all does flow into so many societal games, also, doesn't it? Because we all spend so much time at work, and our emotions from work naturally will flow over time, you know. And if we have a positive outcome at work and a great experience that will flow into broader society and our home life. Bob Chapman, the CEO of uh, Barry Waymiller, you're doing a similar debriefing one time, the guy, you know, what'd you get out of it? And the guy said, well, now when I go home at night, I can talk to my wife. And, and so you're right, Brad. I mean, you, you can, it, 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 it can change us as a person and make us more confident and a better, not only a better employee, but, but a better individual. Yeah, Michael, that aligns with um, my passion in life, you know, creating a better future through helping organizations achieve and grow towards excellence. It's um, an amazing thing to be aligned with. Michael, within the Enterprise Excellence podcast now, we are doing two-minute tips, like short, sharp snippets that people can consume quickly if they don't have time to listen to the whole podcast. But in your area of expertise, Michael, what would be your Enterprise Excellence two-minute tip? Well, I think what we talked about earlier is that realize that, that whatever you do at the outset isn't what you should be doing two years from now. Um, and so if, if I know that I want to be doing something different and something better two years from now, uh, I need to start, um, what, what's the groundwork that I need to lay now so that I can measure the effectiveness of the experiment? So we've got an improvement experiment we're going to do. How am I going to assess if that is uh, working well. And in putting that framework together, I, I don't wanna be the sole source of coming up with the framework. 
I want to bounce this idea off of different levels of people within my team, if I'm just running a team or in an organization at different levels of the organization and bouncing that across my peers. And then I would be sharing it. If I was a CEO, I would be sharing what we're doing with other CEOs, um, especially those that I respect and saying, here's how we're thinking about going about this. You know, do you have any other thoughts of things we should be thinking? So right from the get-go, I'm trying to change my perspective of what's the best way for us to be able to, um, you know, to, to go about doing this. If just one addition to that, if I'm the assigned improvement resource with, within the organization, which many people like to do this, to give somebody, make it their specialty. So I've got the continuous improvement staff. Um, I wouldn't only be thinking about what do we need to be doing to do the improvement thing? Cause that's kind of the job, but I would be thinking what are actions that I can take as a, um, as a CI leader that that's going to better engage my leadership team um, and get them more actively involved with what it is that's going on. And most people ultimately throw up their hands when they're doing that. And I'd say you can influence that the best if you can find out, use some publicly posted visual feedback that people don't dispute the facts that are there in the board. So we, we an express experiment is what facts do we want in the board? And then let people see the gold and the, the gold stars and the, the red stars where things are going well and things are not going well. And use that to um, start having new conversations inside the business and to slowly bring your leadership team um, more in, uh, involved with what it is your organization's doing to improve. That's amazing. Yeah, you're making what's most important transparent and then having the conversations around it. Michael, what's been a recent insight for you? What's been something that you've learned recently that you didn't know before? Um, I think I wrote this to you, but the, uh, I, 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 we just, you know, we moved from Chicago to California to be closer to grandchildren and we're loving it. Even with COVID, we're still, we're still loving it and been able to get together. But I joined my local HOA board, <laughs> a homeowners association board. And the, um, and I'm a factual guy, right? I mean, you know, I got this logical background, so I'm a factual guy. And so we're doing these Zoom meetings and one of the homeowners was pestering us to go back to physical face-to-face meetings um, prior to the mass rollout of vaccinations. And, uh, and so I had gathered some facts on how many people are coming to the Zoom meetings and how many people are going to the physical meetings when we used to have it. And there's at least 30% more people going to the Zoom meetings. <laughs> and so, so this individual started to say that, well, but that's because they had no choice. And, and, <laughs> and I wanted to say, well, they had no choice when there were physical meetings. It was still a, you know, yes, yes or no. This is still, still a yes or no. But I was, I was abrupt in trying to point this person's eyes directly at the facts as I saw the facts. Um, I was not engaging him. I was not giving him an opportunity for feedback. And so for me, who, who should know better of slowing down, and not trying to rush people to where it is I want them to be. Um, I'm still working on that. Yeah, Michael, I can vouch for that. I'm constantly working on that same area of challenge to improve, to take the time and work at the pace people need to work at. I can totally understand that one. Michael, how can people reach out to you if they want to connect and learn more and, and engage with you? Well, well, I am retired um, and I'm not really doing any consulting, but I'm always happy to chat with people. I'm always happy to exchange emails. And so the easiest email is, is my name, Michael Bremer. And I've got, I'm also an Apple user. So I've got a, an old Apple address. So it's Michael Bremer at Mac, M-A-C.com. That's probably the easiest email address to get me. I, I've put together a, an embarrassingly simple and crude website 
called michaelbremer.net. Um, and so I'm going to look though at Wix that you talked about and see if I can upgrade what it is that's going on there. Um, so there's a website, although in all honesty, I don't go back and look at it very often, but I am doing that. And I suppose the other easy way for people to get involved with me is to, uh, I think if you do a Michael Brimmer and LinkedIn, uh, my name would come up and that is the, that's probably the social media that I use the most these days. Michael, thank you so much for all your knowledge, openness, sharing and insights that you've provided us on behalf of our listeners. It's been amazing. I know I'm going to learn more when I listen back when the episode goes live also. And just thank you so much for sharing and ultimately helping us all create a better future. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Brad. I really enjoyed this. It was great. 